Welcome to the Human Experience Podcast, the only podcast designed to fuse your left and right brain hemispheres and feed it the most entertaining and mentally engaging topics on the planet. As we approach our ascent, please make sure your frontal, temporal and occipital lobes are in their full upright position. As you take your seat of consciousness, relax your senses and allow us to take you on a journey. We are the Intimate Strangers. Thank you for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. The episode that you're about to hear is six years in the planning, countless emails, living legend, Dr. Bruce Lipton is here with us today. It's going to be an amazing, amazing broadcast. So if you're here right now, live with us on YouTube, perfect. If you're listening to the podcast version of this, no problem at all. Either way, sit back, grab a drink, and enjoy this conversation. The Human Experiences in Session. My name is Xavier Katana. My guest for today is Dr. Bruce Lipton. Dr. Lipton is a stem cell biologist, teacher, and author whose research into cell membranes and cell behavior questioned the established scientific view of life being controlled by genetics. Dr. Lipton is an internationally recognized leader and pioneer in bridging the gap between science and spirit. Dr. Lipton gained his PhD from the University of Virginia. He went on to research cloned human stem cells and the molecular mechanisms that control cell behavior. He, his work at Stanford University connected quantum physics and cell behavior. Dr. Lipton has written a number of books, The Biology of Belief, Spontaneous Evolution, and The Honeymoon Effect. These books all expand on his research findings and open things out into the realms of humanity's evolution and our need for love. The Biology of Belief is an international bestseller and received the Best Science Book Award from Book News. Dr. Lipton received the Goy Peace Award in 2009. He has been a guest speaker on hundreds of TV and radio shows, as well as a keynote presenter for conferences all around the world. And today he joins us here on The Human Experience. Bruce, it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much. What an honor for being here. Thank you so much. Welcome to HXP. Xavier, I want to thank you so very much for your patience. Number one, I, I still have trouble. It's six years we're trying to set this up. And um, uh, whatever the reason is, we're here right now. And I'm so happy to be here with you and especially with your audience, because this is a, a time of um, uh, global chaos. Uh, and, uh, you know, whether you look on the Internet and see what's going on or read a paper or watch a news on TV or even look out your window, uh, you can see there's a lot of upheaval going on. Uh, and it's really important for understand that do not be upset by all of this, because this is a necessary step to uh, allow us to survive and thrive into the future. We have to change the way we're living on this planet because human behavior uh, is precipitating what is called the sixth mass extinction of life on this planet. 
we used to think in Darwinian terms that life started off with a simple organism and with very slight genetic changes over time, millions of years, all different kinds of organisms uh, came about because of uh, changes in the genetics. So it was like evolution was like this one continuous long period. Hmm. But uh, we now recognize, especially through the work of Stephen Jay Gould and Niles Eldridge, uh, uh, a scientist at uh, Harvard and, and out east, uh, what they found was that evolution wasn't one continuous process. There were start and stops where uh, life would be thriving and then something would go on and wipe out up to 90% of life. And then it would start all over again, build up to where it was thriving. And then another one of these cataclysmic events would wipe out up to 90% of life. These are called mass extinctions. Mm -hmm. There are five of them that have been recorded in our history, uh, not the history of humans, in the history of the planet. The last of these uh, was actually when the dinosaurs were here. Uh, the environment was thriving and a comet hit near uh, the Yucatan. And as a result of that comet, a massive comet, it upset the entire web of life all the way around the planet, wiping out up to 90% of life, including all the dinosaurs. But that was like 65 million years ago. Today, we're losing species of organisms faster than in any previous mass extinction. Well, the previous mass extinctions were due to like a comet hitting the Earth or tectonic plates moving or massive volcanic activity. Today's mass extinction, and we're already in it because we've lost up to about 70% of uh, life on this planet in regard to animals uh, uh, on this planet, uh, we're calling it it's the sixth mass extinction. But what's totally unique about it is that human behavior hmm. is responsible for this. We're undermining the web of life. We're destroying ecosystems yeah. and just uh, uh, without recognizing one profound fact, we evolved from the ecosystem. Right. If the ecosystem crashes, we can't be here either. So we're facing extinction, and people say, well, when's that? You know, like a thousand years or something. I go, within decades. <laughs> you know, I mean, there, there's a, we've, uh, since 1970, they, they took a survey, how many animals were on the planet in 1970? World Wildlife Foundation did this. They, two years ago, they redid the survey. And 63% of all the animal population that was here in 1970 have disappeared. We only have one-third the animals left uh, just since 1970. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, and they anticipate that there will be no fish in the ocean 2048. Uh, that's almost like science fiction weirdness of planet Earth with no fish in the ocean. But uh, we're over, you know, overfishing, uh, we're ruining the breeding grounds, and we're polluting the water. And the net result of our activity is uh, they anticipate no fish by 2048. Uh, we're talking about dramatic upheaval, but it's due to human behavior. Mm -hmm. So I say, well, what's the resolution? And the answer, of course, is change human behavior <laughs> as fast as we can yeah. uh, to recover what we can. And to me, it's very important because you and your audience, especially the millennials, generation are, are being handed a, a fractured earth uh, and yet with awareness and consciousness uh, everyone from the millennials on down to the youngest ones right now will be able to turn this thing around hmm. not bring it back to the way it was but stop what's going on uh, and then we have to adapt and adjust to a new way of life because climate change is here gosh you're in Florida and um, 
the water levels are rising, as we well know, and uh, cities all along the coast are, are in jeopardy of all this. And people talk about, yes, climate change, the, the ice is melting in the Arctic regions and the water is getting higher. And everyone's concerned about, oh, my God, the flooding of the coast. And I go, oh, that's a problem. But that's not the big problem. Hmm. There's a bigger problem. And the problem is this. Uh, the, the climate change means weather is unpredictable. You don't know, you know, if it's going to be raining or you're going to be in a drought, if it's going to freeze or what the temperature is going to be because it changes. And I go, and the problem, and the problem is this, agriculture depends on a stable environment that you know when the wet season and the dry and the harvest and you, and you know that because of climate. But when climate changes the way it's doing, you cannot predict agriculture. There are crop failures going on all over the world because of whatever, you know, extreme drought in some places, uh, uh, storms that are of high magnitude that are destroying things in the planet. Uh, all these upheavals, I go, the problem is this. Yeah, water levels are rising, but we're going to be short of food. Uh, and this is going to make a global problem. The idea is, and it's unfortunate because so many people think, oh, well, if we just stop using fossil fuels, everything will come back to the way it was. And I go, come on, here's the story. It's not coming back. It's changing. Hmm. And we don't know where the change is going to settle, but now it's unsettled. And so, therefore, it's not predictable what the weather is going to be. And if it's not predictable, then by definition, you can't predict agriculture. And that's where the, the serious problem is coming in. And it says, don't wait for this thing to return we have to create a you know new technologies, new way of life mm -hmm. uh, to manage how we're going to survive uh, in a world where change is, is every day. Uh, and so this is why it's real important for uh, people to start to wake up, especially the younger people, which I say younger because I'm an old guy, uh, but <laughs> the millennial generation and younger, uh, because it, the, the saving of this planet in regard to keeping the culture alive and taking care of people is going to be based on their activity, not the older people. Hmm. And <clears throat> the older people are actually just a, a stumbling block in the way of preventing us from moving forward at this moment. But I have my hope in you and the younger people on this planet uh, because I know we can turn this ship around and, and have a healthy world. I mean, let's hope so. And, you know, you, you open the conversation in, in such a, a massive way, and I, I sincerely appreciate that. Anyone who has been listening to the show knows how passionate I am about this. And we've, you know, we've brought on scientists, uh, ecologists that have talked about what, where we're headed. And, you know, many of them say that it was too late, you know, 20 years ago to do something about what's going on. But, you know, yes, we need new inventions. Yes, we need an acceleration in the understanding in you know human consciousness that we have one planet that that we live on i mean until we are we reach at the you know outer space and we're, we're able to travel you know even then you know we need to be working on what's going on locally here and you know it's it's amazing that it seems like many people don't even realize this or think about this until it directly affects them you know but <laughs> Bruce, let's back up a little bit. Let's back up a little bit. I want to slow this down a little bit. Yes. Um, I want yes. to get to, you know, I, want, I really wanted to ask you because I'm really curious. I've been following your work for many years. I, I want to know, you know, if, if I can bring you back to that moment many years ago when you started on this journey, what was that moment for you like when you realized, you know, okay, Western medicine, Western 
philosophy, Western thinking, Western, all of it is wrong. There's something, there's something about academia that is misplaced, misguided, and they have no intentions of sort of correcting that. But at what point in your life did you realize that? Well, uh, it was the result of experiments that I was doing on stem cells. Uh, stem cells are the equivalent of embryonic cells in your body. And the reason why you have them so people understand this and that you do have them is important to recognize is that a body is not a single entity. It's a community made out of 50 trillion cells. The cells are the living entity. Uh, Bruce, by definition, is a name of a community of 50 trillion cells because collectively they, they create what is called the human body. So the function of the human body is really an expression of the cells that make it up. Well, we have 50 trillion of them in our body, and every day we lose hundreds of billions. Now, I'm throwing out numbers, trillions and billions, and we're so used to throwing out these numbers, but it's so hard to make it real. What the heck does that mean? Uh, I mean, if you wanted to count to a trillion, you could start now, and, and by the end of your life, you might get to a trillion because that number is so big. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a little disconnect when I say, okay, we have 50 trillion cells, and we lose hundreds of billions every day. And I say, well, important point, how, how long can you live if you're losing hundreds of billions of cells every day? And the answer is not very long, but we have stem cells, which are embryonic cells in our body, which are replacing those. So here's the point. If you're listening to me and you're over five years of age and you're still here, then guess what? You have stem cells because otherwise you wouldn't be here. So I'm working on stem cells. Uh, and can, what controls the fate. And at the same time I was doing this research, I was also teaching students about the idea that genes control life. Mm-hmm. At that time, it, it was a belief called genetic determinism, which simply means genes determine the character of your life. Sure. Well, um, in my research on stem cells, uh, using genetically identical cells, which is what the result of cloning is, uh, I have three petri dishes with genetically identical cells in all of the dishes. But I changed the culture medium, the environment in which the cells live. And let me just, the big important point, culture medium is a laboratory version of blood. Cells in the body live in uh, an environment uh, supported by the blood, the fluid. And uh, so when you grow cells in a Petri dish, a plastic dish, uh, you have to provide that environment. So culture medium is a laboratory version of blood. And since I created in the lab, I can change some of the uh, constituents in that culture medium. And I make three different versions of culture medium with slight change in chemistry. I have three Petri plates, genetically identical cells in all of them. Uh, And so each different culture medium is like a different environment, environment A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. And I say, well, what's the result? I say in environment A, my stem cells form muscle. In the second culture dish with genetically identical cells but a different environment, environment B, the cells form bone. And in the third petri dish, yet a different environment, environment C, the genetically identical cells start to form fat. Hmm. So the whole thing that caught my attention right here, of course, was I've created genetically identical cells in all the dishes. And yet the fate of the cells, whether it was muscle, bone, or fat, wasn't determined by the genes. They all had the same genes. Hmm. The only thing that was different was the environment. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I said, oh, my God, here I'm teaching people genes turn on and off, which people still say today. That's a complete false understanding. Uh, let's just get to the point. A gene is a blueprint to make a protein. A protein is a building block of the cells. Cells are made out of proteins, about 100,000 different kinds. Mm-hmm. 
I go, so a gene, a gene is a blueprint to make a protein. That's exactly what it is. I say, why is that so important? The answer is this. You go into an architect's office, and let's say she's working on a blueprint. You lean over her shoulder, and you say, is your blueprint on or off? And, and she'd look at you like, well, you're crazy. It's a blueprint. There's mm -hmm. no on and off. And I go, precisely, this is the whole point. Genes are blueprints, but they don't regulate themselves. They're controlled by signals from the environment. That's what the research showed. Change the culture medium environment, and I change the fate of the cells. And so I have genetically identical cells in different environments, but they have different fates. It's not the genes. It was the environment. Mm -hmm. This, all of a sudden, of course, is a monkey wrench and everything because here I am teaching students genes control life, and the research says that's not true at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the environment controls it. So I want to take a step up and get us out of the culture dish for a second, but okay. put us into a different different culture dish. And I go like this. I acknowledged just a little while ago that a human body is not a single entity. It's a community of 50 trillion cells. Uh, essentially, a human body is a skin-covered Petri dish. And inside our body are 50 trillion cells. And I go, yes, and they have the original culture medium, blood. I go... So the chemistry of the culture medium, whether it's in the plastic dish or whether it's in the skin body dish, it's the culture medium that controls the fate of the cells, not the genes. Hmm. I go, why is this relevant? Because I say, well, in the lab, I make the culture medium and put the constituents in. But in your body, you make the culture hmm. medium called blood. Mm -hmm. And I say, well... I say, well, who's the chemist? Because in the lab, I'm the chemist. I change the composition. But in your body, I say, well, who's the chemist that controls the composition of your blood? Because it doesn't make a difference if the cell is in the skin dish or the plastic dish. It's controlled by the environment, regardless of which one. In the skin dish, blood. So now I say, we already demonstrated that the chemical composition of the blood determines the fate of the cells. Then, of course, the big question is, well, who's the chemist in your body? That makes blood. And I go, the brain is the chemist. Mm, I go, mm -hmm. great. Now comes the Xavier, the big, big one. I say, yeah, but which chemicals should the brain put in the blood? And all of a sudden, the answer is whatever picture you hold in your mind, the brain translates that picture into chemistry that complements the picture. Wow. If it's a picture of love, if you hold in your, you close your eyes and you're feeling love and you have an experience of love, the brain releases chemistry of love, which includes dopamine for pleasure, oxytocin, which bonds you to the love source, uh, vasopressin. It makes you more attractive so your partner stays with you longer. And, and uh, when you're in love, the brain releases growth hormone into the blood, which does exactly what it says, growth. And I say, why is it relevant? I say the cocktail of chemicals that come out of a brain in love are chemicals that give you health and vitality and uh, uh, excite your life. That's why love is so exciting. It's a chemistry consequence. I go, but same person all of a sudden becomes afraid, and the picture in their mind is fear. Something is threatening them in some way, and I go, oh, well, when you're in fear, different chemistry, the brain doesn't release love chemistry, it releases fear chemistry, mm -hmm. different mm -hmm. chemistry, stress hormones and things that affect the immune system. And I go, wait a minute, blood chemistry controls the fate of the cells, fact. Fact, brain controls blood chemistry, fact. The chemistry released by the brain is directly complementary to the picture in your mind. I say, why is it relevant? And the answer is, if you change your mind, 
you change the chemistry. When you change the chemistry, you change the fate of the cells. And it's like, oh, my God. I say, why is it relevant, uh, Xavier? I know I'm talking on here, no, but, but let me just get to the, to the point. And the point is this. I was teaching in the classroom, genes control life. I say, what's the significance of that saying, which has affected all of us? I go, the significance is, as far as we know, we didn't pick the genes we came with. If we don't like the characteristics we have, you can't change the genes. And then we are told that the genes turn on and off by themselves, which takes you out of the loop. And all of a sudden you realize, oh, my God, I am a victim of my heredity, Mm. meaning if there's cancer running in my family, it's like, oh, my God, a cancer gene. I'm going to get the cancer gene. Then I can get the cancer or diabetes, cardiovascular disease, whatever one. We relate this to genetic activity. And then the first thing is this. We're victims of our genes because we don't control them. They control us. So that education that all of us received took away our power because it says, oh, your life is not controlled by you. Your life is controlled by your genes. Right. And then we have no power. The new science, which is the one I studied in the Petri dish and showed how the environmental signals control genes. Well, this new science is not called genetics. It's called epigenetics. Mm -hmm. It's brand new. It's a revolution. I say, what's a revolution? I go, when, let's say, I say, this character, old story, this character is under genetic control. That means this character is controlled by genes, cancer, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, whatever. But in the new science, it's called epigenetic control. And I say, well, it sounds the same. I say, epi, the prefix, means above. Matter of fact, the word for skin in biology is called epidermis. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is the layer called the skin is above another layer called the dermis. So epidermis means above the dermis, okay? Right. So now I say there's a new science called epigenetic control. I say, what does that translate as? And here's what it is. Control above the genes epigenetics above the genes i say oh the control is not in the genes i say no the control is in the culture medium the blood and i go yeah but where controls that and that's what we backed up before i said oh well that's the brain then it's the consciousness and they'll basically say well wait a minute if the chemistry of my blood is controlled by my consciousness and the chemistry controls the genetics and behavior of the cell what if I change my consciousness? I go, precisely. Hmm. You change the way you experience life in your consciousness. You change the chemistry of your blood, which in turn adjusts the genetics and the behavior. And the point was simply this. We're not victims of genes. We're masters. Hmm. We control the genes because the way we are thinking is creating culture medium, which in turn controls the fate of the cells. Change your thinking and you change the fate of the cells. All of a sudden I get, oh, my God, here we are teaching everybody they're victims, powerless. That's what it means. A victim is powerless. I have no control over my life. That's what we tell people. And it turns out it's completely the opposite. The opposite being this. You change your consciousness, you change your environment that you live in, and you change your genetic activity. So you're not a victim of your genes. You're the master. But we've never been programmed to understand that. So uh, we live a, a misunderstanding. And since the belief that we have, let's say love or fear is a belief, and that controls our biology, what happens if I give you the belief that you're a victim and the belief controls your biology, then by definition, you become a victim. Not from anything real, but from the belief. 
And if you change the belief, you change your life. And it's like, that's the whole idea. we got to get out of the victim mentality and start to recognize I am in charge. But to do that, you have to change some of the programming. Now, if I follow through, Xavier, if I, hmm. let, let me, if I can quickly try please, to do this, because I really want to get in discussion here with you, but I'll give some facts. <laughs> no problem. I love uh, this. Uh, Everyone is loving this. Please go on. <laughs> Uh, the brain, as I said, was the chemist, okay? And, and I go, uh, and the brain is responding to our consciousness. I go, yeah, and I go, we understand this to be fact, and everyone knows it to some degree. The brain is the equivalent of a computer. It's a supercomputer, in fact. It's, there's not even a man-made computer that can come near the computational ability of a human brain. I go, why is this relevant? I say, because a brain and a computer are identical to each other in function and structure. Mm -hmm. And I go, what do you mean? I say, the, let's say a computer. Let's just say I buy a new computer. I come home from the store. I push on. The boot. The computer boots up. So now the system is ready to go. Okay, I got an operating system. Now I say, do something with a computer. I say, like what? Well, draw or write. Make a spreadsheet. I go, I can't do that. I say, why? Because first you need programs. <laughs> if you don't have programs in the, in the computer, you can turn it on, but it doesn't do anything. It turns on. You need programs first, and then you can manipulate the program. So I go, guess what? The human brain is a computer, as we talked about, that the operating system is complete by the third trimester, the last trimester of pregnancy. The fetus's brain has got an operating system. I say, yeah, but to use a computer, what do you need? Programs. I say, where does the child get a program from? And the answer is this. This is very critical. The brain of a child through age seven uh, is operating at a vibrational frequency called theta. And I say, what does that mean? I say, you've seen people put wires on their head and read brain activity. That's a vibration. Mm -hmm. And I say, theta is a relatively low vibration. It's below consciousness. Consciousness is a bit higher vibration. I go, so theta, for the first seven years in your life, you're in theta. And I say, well, what does that mean? I say, well, first of all, you're not in consciousness. In the first seven years, you're in theta, which is characterized as imagination. I go, uh, consider this. Uh, uh, children are having a tea party. They pour nothing into a cup, drink the nothing, and then talk about how wonderful the tea was. Or uh, a child is riding a broom. It's not a broom. It's a horse. And they're real mm -hmm. in their conscious mind or unconscious mind in this case. Uh, to them, it's not a broom. It, they're actually on a live horse. That's theta, imagination. Okay? But theta is also hypnosis. I go, why is it relevant? I said, well, how do you get programs? You download them. I say, How? Your brain is in a state of hypnosis. Whatever you're observing, the brain is recording it just like a video cam. Mm -hmm. It's recording it. I say, so, I said, where do I get programs? A child is instinctively directed to observe the mother, the father, the siblings, and the community, to watch them. I say, why? Because as they're watching these people, they're downloading the, the behaviors of those they're observing, the mother, the father, etc., I go, well, they're downloading it like a video camera, so I'm putting programs in how to behave. Where did I get them from? By watching my mother behave, watching my father behave, etc. So I go, oh, so the programs, the first phase is you build the brain computer and you make an operating system. Second phase, last trimester of pregnancy through the first seven years, the brain is operating in theta, which is hypnosis download. So I'm downloading programs, but whose programs? 
the people I observe, my mother's program, my father's, my siblings, etc. Right. I go, okay, cool. And then I say, what happens? I say, after age seven, now the conscious mind starts to operate. And the conscious mind is like the creator mind. It's like when you have a computer in front of you, you have a, a, a system built in, you downloaded programs into the hard drive, but then you become creative when? When you can type on the keys and add data and change the programming. I go, this happens after age seven. That's when the brain ramps up to conscious function. And consciousness is the one that uses the downloaded programs to then create life from those programs. Mm -hmm. So I say three phases. First, put an operating system in. Last trimester of pregnancy complete. Second, put programs in. That goes from last trimester of pregnancy up to age seven. And they're installed by simply observing other people because you're in a state of hypnosis. That's mm. theta, downloading mm. behavior. And then I say the third phase begins when you're at seven or older. Then you become conscious. And now you can type on the keyboard and, and put programs in, that, you know, adjust the programs the way you want them to work. That's creativity. So uh, then I say, well, then the programs that you got fundamental in your life didn't come from you. They came from other people. I go, what's the problem? Well, if their life isn't in, in great harmony, if they have programs that are not that good and they're living those not good programs and you're observing and recording them, then guess what? You've been downloaded with negative programs and up to 70% of the downloaded programs that an average kid gets before age seven, seventy percent or so are disempowering or negative or self-sabotaging behaviors copied from other people. But age seven, you get to be conscious, and conscious is you. You got your hands on the keyboard. You are the creator, and you can create your life. But the first thing is this: you start using the programs that you got, and if they're defective programs, then all of a sudden life becomes a struggle because. It's not supporting what you want. It's copying somebody else's behavior. They didn't have the behavior that you wanted. Your creativity. I say, what do you want? You know, oh, I want to be healthy. I want to be happy. I want to have a great job. I want to have a great relationship. I go, these are great. These are imaginations and the conscious mind that you can create on your keyboard, on your computer. And then I go, okay, so where's the problem? And Xavier, this, if I could, you know, although this is audio, if I could put a bright flashing red box around what I'm going to say, mm -hmm. I would say, this is the problem. And here's the problem. You can control your biology and your life and all the characteristics um, because you're the driver. Think about it this way. Think of your body as a vehicle, which it is, uh, and so let's say there's a steering wheel and the conscious mind when driving conscious is creative a conscious has your wishes and desires what do you want what do you want that's a vision i want this i want that i go great you put your hands on the wheel and you can drive to go toward those directions now that big box red light flashing that goes yeah great i got great wishes and desires on it but here's the point the point is this as long as the conscious mind has its hands on the wheel driving, you're going toward wishes and desires. However, when you are thinking, the conscious mind stops looking out the window of the, the windshield of your vehicle. The, you know, your eyes are looking at the world. Right. And I go, and your consciousness is paying attention to what's going on in that world. And then I say something like, um, Xavier, tell me what you're doing on Saturday. Now, 
just pretend for a moment you don't have that written down in front of you. You're mm. just sitting there, and I say, what are you doing on Saturday? And I say, where are you going to find the answer to that question? It's in your mind. Right. I go, oh. I say, well, how do you do that? I say, the conscious that was controlling the car with the hands on the wheel lets go of the wheel because consciousness has to go inside. Thinking is an inside job. The information is inside <laughs> your skull. So consciousness lets go of the wheel and goes inside when it's thinking. You say, well, then who's driving the vehicle? They go, subconscious is autopilot, just mm. like on a plane. Mm -hmm. The pilot gets up, he goes to the bathroom, he puts on an autopilot, the, the, the program in the autopilot's going to fly the plane. Mm -hmm. I say, when we are thinking, then conscious mind, which has its hands on the wheel, taking us toward wishes and desires, lets go of the wheel, goes inside the head, because that's where thinking is occurring, but subconscious steps in behind the wheel, autopilot, and drives. And I go, and how's that driving going? I say... Whatever program you got from other people, that's the program that's driving. And mm. if you had a, a bad program from your parent and you are thinking, conscious mind in your thought, let's go of the wheel, goes inside, you're having a thought, subconscious kicks in, drives a vehicle, but it drives it according to the program that you got from other people. And if those programs aren't good, your vehicle is being driven <laughs> off the road down there, uh, could crash and burn. Mm. Why? Because you let go of the wheel. And when you're thinking, your behavior is automatic. Uh, I've been using a, the same story 30 years in my lectures because I haven't found a better one yet. I hope to, but I, this is a good <laughs> one. And it's like, it goes like this. It says, you have a friend. You know your friend's behavior very, very well. And you know your friend's parent. And then one day, guess what? <laughs> you see your friend has the same behavior as their parent. So you're so excited. You want to tell your friend, you, you got to hey, Bill, you're just like your dad. Back away from Bill. Bill is going to go ballistic. He's going to say, how the heck can you compare me to my dad? I'm nothing like my dad. Everyone in the audience starts to laugh because they've had these kind of experiences. And I say, this is the most profound story I can tell you at this moment for this reason. Everybody else can see that Bill behaves like his dad. He got that behavior. That was the first seven years of programming. So it's built in a program that's its dad because he copied it. But when is he playing it? Oh, he plays the program when he's not paying attention because he's thinking. I go, oh, so as the program is unfolding, Bill's the one that doesn't see it. The reason is he's creating the behavior, but his conscious mind's inside thinking. Hmm. And so Bill doesn't see the behavior. So here's the point. Everyone else can see that Bill behaves like his dad. It's obvious that's mm. his behavior. Mm -hmm. But the only one who doesn't see it is Bill. And the reason is this. He's playing that behavior because he's not paying attention. So obviously he doesn't see the behavior. And that's why he says, how can you compare me to my dad? Because he can't see his own behavior. And I go, understandable, powerful story. And here's the, uh, the clincher. And that is this. We are all Bill. Mm. Every one of us out there, including myself, all of us, are playing programs 95% of the day because that's the amount of time the average person spends thinking. I go, what does that mean? 
If you're thinking 95% of the day, the conscious mind's inside. It's not observing. 95% mm. of the day, your program behavior is coming from the programs you got from your family. And if they're self-destructive, well, you won't see it. Because why? Because you're thinking and, and the program's playing automatically. All you see is the result. You start at the beginning of the day. Today, I'm going to be successful. And then you go out. And when you come home at night, tail between your legs going, oh, man, it didn't happen today. And then I say, what do you think uh, uh, that consequence? You just came home. You've had a crappy day. You didn't succeed in any of your wishes and desires. But that's what you left the house with in the morning. I say, what happened? And here's where the problem is. Because most people say, well, I wanted to have success, but the universe didn't allow me to have it hmm. the outside i am a victim of these people and i'm a victim of that and i'm a victim a victim victim and all of a sudden everybody feels like oh my god uh, i want to be successful but i'm a victim because outside forces are messing with me and i go oh my god it's so wrong you went out in the morning with a conscious wish of success but then 95% of the day, your conscious mind was thinking about what you were doing, where you were going, where you've been, whatever, just thoughts coming up and up and up and up. Right. I said, so then I say 95% of your life you just spent uh, was not coming from your wishes and desires. It came from the programs because the subconscious was running at 95. I said, yeah, subconscious, below conscious, just like Bill. You played the program. You didn't see it because you were thinking. And the program was self-destructive, and then you end up with your life being destructed. But because you didn't see you were involved, we take on the position, oh, I'm a victim, it's not me. And it's like, oh my God, no, 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 no. We are creating. We're creating the good, and we're creating the bad. And we can't get out of this unless you take responsibility to say, Am I a victim or am I a creator? <laughs> and then when you recognize you're the creator, then it's easier because then it says, well, if I want to change it, then I'm the one that's going to change it. I'm not waiting for the outside to come and change it because I am creating. And this is where you get a chance to have your power. Because if you can let go of the program, then your hands are going to be on the wheel. Conscious mind. I say, yeah, but conscious mind has wishes and desires. You've been programmed for seven years. Everybody's been programmed. So the movie The Matrix is not science fiction. The movie The Matrix is a documentary. Everybody's been programmed. <laughs> but in the movie, there's a chance you take a blue pill or a red pill. You take the blue pill and you wake up and you're back in the program. Everything's just the way it's always been. Right. But they say, if you take the red pill, you get out of the program. I say, what would be the consequence of taking the red pill? And now I'm proud and pleased to announce that most everybody out there, they're at least 20 years of age, has already taken that red pill with a profound change in their life experiences. I go, well, when did they take the red pill? I say, when we fall in love, head over heels in love. Mm -hmm. I could tell you, like, your life every day is blah, 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 years, blah, 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 blah. And then you meet this special person, 24 hours later, <laughs> you're going, oh, my God, life is so beautiful. I love life. Life is great. The music's great. The food's great. The sex is great. I love my <laughs> life. I go, you have blah, blah, blah for 20 years, and then you meet this person, and 24 hours later, you have heaven on earth? How did that happen? 
And, and the answer is precisely red pill. Because science has recognized when people fall in love like that, they stop thinking. They stay what is called mindful. Yep. They stay present. What does that mean? Well, this person just came into your life. Is this a time to start thinking and let go of what's going on in your life and let your behaviors run from programs? It's like, absolutely not. This person just came in your life. Your eyes are wide open, man. I want to be here. This is where I want to be. And I go, well, you stop thinking, and now you're staying in the present moment. I go, so what was the result? It was your thinking that caused the programs to take over. If you stop thinking, then the conscious mind keeps its hands on the wheel. I say, and what's the function of that conscious mind? Wishes and desires. The first time in your life you stop playing the program and you continue to drive with wishes and desires, it's called the honeymoon, that period where you meet somebody new and life there, the next whatever period of time is heaven on earth, beautiful, exciting, and wonderful. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a coincidence. It was a do do a direct fact. It was the red pill. You stayed present. You stopped thinking. You kept your hands on the wheel. You were driving now toward all wishes and desires, and this is what you manifested when earth becomes heaven on earth for you in a honeymoon. And then I say, oh, my God, we're creators. I go, yes, you are. But you're creating 95% of your life in a typical day from the programs that other people gave you. Mm -hmm. And if they had a problem themselves, then you have that problem. And, and so, for example, people think that, oh, cancer is caused by genes. I go, Cancer is not caused by a gene. There's not a gene that causes cancer. Cancer is associated with genes, but also connected to a life that's not in harmony. So you can have a so-called cancer gene. Let, let's step back and go, Angelina Jolene, beautiful young woman, um, uh, recognizes sometime after she's had her kids and she's still young and beautiful uh, she recognized of course her mother died from breast cancer and her grandmother died from breast cancer and this weighed on her head big time and she's thinking oh my god I've got the cancer gene BRCA1 cancer gene that's what she had and she immediately thought like everybody does the gene controls my life <gasps> I have the cancer gene I'm going to get cancer that's exactly what she was thinking and then I said, what did she do? She said, well, I'll have a double mastectomy. So if I cut my breasts off, I can't get breast cancer. I mean, so unfortunately, they call it a mastectomy. I call it a mutation. Her, you know, she muted her body. She altered it. Uh, you know, it's, it's, she destructed her body. Why? Because if she gets rid of the breast, then she can't have breast cancer. That was a thought. There's an unfortunate problem with that, and that is the same gene causes uterine cancer and ovarian cancer. So uh, she has to go through a you know, hysterectomy and take all those other parts out there if she's thinking she's going to avoid the problem. But I say, what is the problem? Here it is in a nutshell. She has been programmed with the belief that the BRCA1 gene causes cancer. I have the BRCA1 gene, therefore I would get the cancer. That's the belief. And then I say, but you know what? 50% of the women that carry the BRCA1 gene never get the cancer. There's a very important conclusion from that fact. And I say, what is it? Having the gene doesn't mean you get cancer. <laughs> That's what it means. It's the gene alone doesn't cause cancer. It's a problem in lifestyle programming that causes the cancer. I'll give another very big important example. 
uh, a child gets adopted into a family where there's cancer in that family line. And guess what? The adopted child will end up with the same family cancer. I go, yeah, but the adopted child came from totally different genetics. I go, precisely. The cancer did not come from the genetics. It was a result of behavior that was not in harmony with life. Mm. And therefore, all of a sudden, we keep blaming the genes. I'm a victim because I caught this gene from my parents. And I go, that gene will not create cancer unless your life is not in harmony. If it's not in harmony, then the gene will participate in cancer. But if your life's in harmony, that gene will have no effect at all. And I say, why is this relevant? Because people think that they're victims of the genes. It's like, no, you're victims of the behavior. You're victims of the programming. That's what happens when you're in a family. You get programmed uh, in, in that first seven years. And if the programming is not in harmony, then by definition, your life will not be in harmony either. And so when we look at our lives and we say, oh my God, I want all these things. They're not really happening. I wish they would happen. And my life doesn't work out the way I want, which is conscious minds, wishes, and desires. Mm -hmm. And the reason is this. It's not because you can't have it. It's because your subconscious program is throwing a monkey wrench in there if it doesn't support what you want. Sure. Because 95% of the day, it's the program that's running you, not you. And I say, why is it relevant? And the answer very simply is this. We are programmed to be victims from the belief system. And if you believe you're a victim, then you become a victim. Hmm. And I go, what do you mean? I go, a famous quote from uh, Henry Ford, the guy who founded the Ford Motor Company. Just listen to this. It's so profound and it's so simple. Hmm. Here's his quote. Whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. right. Yeah. And all of a sudden, what does that mean? It says, the life that you're leading is coming from program. And if your life's not in harmony, uh, we have a tendency, as I said, to feel we're victims and outside forces are doing this. But now that we know that our consciousness is controlling our behavior and our genetics, and it basically says, if you don't like what you have, you can change consciousness. And when you change consciousness, you change completely the character of your life and all of a sudden it's like god i'm not a victim of the outside world i'm a victim of the inside program and i go absolutely because when you get the program right you could have heaven on earth every day of your life for as long as you live the only reason you're not experiencing heaven on earth is because whatever programs you downloaded from your family and your community are programs that do not support that destination you want and therefore what we see is I can't get to the destination, but what we can't see is the reason for that is simply that the behavior like Bill that you're playing when you're thinking is sabotaging you. And like Bill, you can't see it that you've even done it. So therefore you take on I am victim, world is guilty. And it's like, nah, <laughs> we can change our consciousness and our thoughts. And when we do that, we take our power back. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much wisdom in your words, Bruce, and, and it's written in your work, you know, you've covered this and what an epiphany that, you know, you had to study these, these genes and how they behaved and, 
you know, from your Petri dish moment to taking it into this macrocosm of human behavior and how our beliefs and our ideas and the programming that, you know, we observe in your example, the, the trimesters of sort of human evolution, the, the, the way that we interact with our lives, you know, and, and it's important that we have this sense of control, you know, and we, we get that sense of control back. We, and we're not, you know, sort of making ourselves into victims, which happens quite often, right? Wouldn't you agree? I mean, it, it seems almost easy to do it that way to, to you know, to say, I'm, I'm a victim of this. And so I have no power. So, you know, I might, might as well give up. And that's exactly the problem giving up because you say, if I have no power, then what can I do about it? You already said I can't do anything about it. So the only recourse you have left is to give up. I, I can't do it. Why? Because I'm not powerful. That's what I know. That's where the problem comes from. I mean, so you know, how do we how do we start to you mentioned mindfulness and being mindful? Yes, that's important. I mean, what are some of the the tools that you recommend? How can we ch- start to change our perception other than, you know, other than recognizing that we have control over our lives? I mean, that's so empowering. There's there's so much just in that, you know, recognizing that we can create the programs to have the lives that we want. That gives us so much of our our own power back. And are there tools? Are there things that you recommend that we use other yes. than you know, mindfulness? Go ahead. Yes. It's very hard to do mindfulness for this reason. You have to stay uh, attention uh, on the present moment. Your consciousness always has to be looking at that windshield, hands on the wheel, and dealing with everything at the at the present moment. Well, well the problem with that is that it's very difficult to stay mindful in this world. You have so many things you have to think about. Your job, things at home. Did you have to fix a car? Do you have kids? You got to take care of these things. You have responsibilities. Inevitably, you have to think. And I say, well, then inevitably, you're going to, you know, actually uh, revert back to whatever the program is. Uh, and so uh, you might have wishes to stay mindful, but that's not really going to happen mm-hmm. because the moment your mind wanders is the moment you start kicking in those negative programs. So the idea is the first thing you have to do is identify what the hell are the programs? And I say, why is this difficult? And I say, well, when did you get those programs? And I tell you, it started even before you were born in the last trimester of pregnancy because of your mother's uh, emotional involvement. Remember, the uh, culture medium controls the genetics. Well, the fetus has cells uh, with genetics. And I say, yeah, but what's the culture medium for the fetus? I go, oh, the mother's blood. I go, oh, mm. Because the mother's chemistry, what her thoughts are and what her beliefs are mm-hmm. in the chemistry of that blood, and if she lives in fear or concern and all that, uh, stress chemicals are in that blood. And guess what? They pass into the fetus. So the fetus has the experiences the mother is experiencing. The fetus doesn't have the details, but it has the feelings of it, mm-hmm. whether I'm happy happy, sad, afraid, whatever. The fetus has that because the mother's blood is, is, is affecting the fetus just like it affects her. So the programming started even before you were born. And uh, so uh, I say, Xavier, tell me, you, can you tell me that program you got when you were zero? <laughs> the answer is right. No, I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't there. <laughs> okay, can you tell me the program you got at one? No. Two? No. Maybe three, you could start to recall some things. Hmm. But the point is this, you've got a lot of programming that went down, you weren't even there. So the first question is this, what are my programs? 
Well, then here comes the easy part of this response. What are your programs? 95% of your life is coming from those programs. Point is simple. Your life is a printout of your programs because 95% of your life is program. So I say, oh, well, then how do I know my programs? I say, look at your life. And here's the simple subdivision. I would say, look at your life and recognize this. Anything that you like that comes into your life that you can experience because it comes in, you say, oh, I like that. I love this. And it shows up. It shows up because you have a program to acknowledge that. But, capital but, underline, but, the idea is this. Look at your life and recognize the things that you want, but you can't seem to get there. You work hard. You struggle. Uh, you know, you keep, you're, you're trying. You're putting a lot of effort in to make something you want to manifest. You're putting all that work in. You're sweating over. I'm going to be successful. I'm working hard. I'm working hard. I go, stop for a second. Why are you working so hard to manifest these things? The answer is simple. It's inevitably your program doesn't support that. And you're trying to override your program. I say, well, this is really difficult. Why? Because the conscious mind, which controls the body vehicle, is only working 5% of the time. The program is 95% of the time. Uh, right away, the mathematics of that say, boy, life is a struggle. If that program doesn't support what you want, you're pretty much bound not to see what you want. You're going to get whatever that program says. So, Look at your life right now and recognize all the things that you like that come into your life come in because your programs acknowledge that. But in contrast, anything you really desire, wish for, want in your life and you're struggling to get it, it's not because the outside world won't give it to you. It's because our own internal programming is sabotaging that end. Mm -hmm. And therefore, now I say, well, what do I want to change? Well, is it a relationship? Is it a job? Uh, what, what is it you want to change? And I say, oh, well, I got this is what I want. I say, oh, that's conscious mind, creative, wishing, imagination. This is what I would like. I go, yeah, but that's the 5% mind. That's a tough one. To make your life manifest those things, you actually have to take your wishes and desires and put them in as programs into your subconscious. And I go, why is it relevant? Because the subconscious is working 95% of the day anyway. So just imagine if you already had a program of wishes and desires built into that subconscious. And there's the easy part. This is the part that's so cool. Once the program is in the subconscious, no more work is involved to manifest those programs. Because 95% of the day, unconsciously, subconsciously, you will be manifesting behavior to support that program. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, since most of our programs are negative, the 95% of the day our behavior is actually uh, activating those programs and sabotaging us, and that's why we have a problem. Hmm. So uh, the conclusion that we need to come to is, A, I need to know what I want to see to make a program to get what I want. Right. If, you know, So the first thing is really look at where are you struggling and say, but I don't want to struggle. I want this conclusion. So I say, oh, so you want that conclusion to be the program. So I say, well, you need to reprogram the subconscious mind. And this is where uh, the biggest problem comes from for a very simple reason. The uh, subconscious mind is programmed, right? And it's habit. The conscious mind, that's the one that's connected to your spirituality, your unique identity. The conscious mind, the one with imagination, has wishes and desires and aspirations. These are things you want. 
The subconscious mind is a database of stored, downloaded programs. It's just programs. Mm-hmm. I go, and most of these programs you got by observing your parents and family and community. And I say, okay, so I want to change them. I said, well, here's the interesting part. The conscious mind being creative can change in any number of ways. Listening to this podcast, going to a lecture, reading a self-help book, even just going, aha, I have a new idea. I can change my conscious mind just by doing that. Mm-hmm. Subconscious mind is the habit mind. I say, why is it relevant? Because if a habit changes very quickly, then it's not a habit. <laughs> so habits resist change. And since the subconscious mind is a habit mind, it resists any effort to change the, an, an existing program. That's just natural. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that the subconscious mind where evil comes from. I, I just want to step on that for a second and go, the subconscious mind is a record playback device, just like, let's say, a CD recorder. I say, why is it relevant? I said, is your CD recorder good or evil? And you go, what are you talking about? I said, well, some people say the subconscious is evil. Some people say it's good. Is it evil or good? I go, it's just like the, the CD recorder. It's not evil or good. It's just a device. It plays programs. Now, the programs could be good or the programs could be bad. But the subconscious mind, don't blame it. It's just a, a record playback device. And I go, why is it relevant? Simple point is this. You, as an entity, exist in the conscious mind. Wishes, desires, aspiration, that's up to your creativity. Subconscious mind, like the CD player, has nobody in it. It's just a machine. It records and plays back. I go, so what? I say, well, the biggest frustration that people have is to recognize they want to change a behavior. And what do they do? They talk to themselves. Don't, don't do this again. Don't do this again. Uh, and then inevitably you repeat it again. Then you get mad at yourself because apparently your subconscious mind didn't listen to you. It's still playing the same damn program. Then you get angry and you start yelling at yourself and you get frustrated and upset and all of this stuff because you keep telling that subconscious mind to change and it doesn't change. And I go, there's nobody in there. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the problem comes from. There's nobody in there. You're, who are you talking to? Nobody. I say, oh, well, there's your problem right there. So here's the point. You can only change the subconscious mind based on the way it learns. The conscious mind's creative. It can learn in any number of ways. But subconscious mind learns in very specific ways. The first seven years of your life when you're in theta, which is hypnosis, is how you downloaded the programs from family and community. Hypnosis. You want to change the programs? Then you've got to use hypnosis. Hmm. That's one of the ways. And I say, mm-hmm. well, do I have to see a hypnotherapist? And I go, no. Remember, I talked about theta, the imagination state, where you start downloading programs as below consciousness. And as you get more vibration, you, the next vibration above theta is called alpha, which is called calm consciousness. And then a higher vibration than that is called uh, beta, which is like schoolroom focused thinking consciousness. So they're higher vibrations and lower vibrations. The lowest one is delta. That's outright sleep so, unconscious. Yeah. So I say, so what? I say, the first seven years of your life, your brain is predominantly in theta. Ah, hypnosis. That's how you got the seven-year programming. I go, yeah. And I say, well, if you want to change the program, do you do hypnosis? And then I say, you don't need a hypnotherapist for a very simple reason. The vibration of the brain when you're awake and working at your job is a higher vibration called beta. When you come home and start to relax, the brain vibration slows down. As it calms down, it's calming. The lower than beta is the next vibration, alpha, which is called calm 
consciousness. But there's a point where all of a sudden you fall asleep. And I say, what happens? The moment you fall asleep, consciousness is disconnected. That's why you're sleeping. You're not here at that moment. Yeah, I say, yeah, but where's the brain? Oh, alpha was calm consciousness. When the vibration goes a little bit lower, it's not in alpha. Now it's in theta. But guess what? Consciousness isn't working because that stopped when the vibration went lower than alpha. So I say, when you're in theta, you're not being conscious you're in a state of hypnosis. So I go, you're at work, high vibration, you come home, you relax, the vibration gets lower, you're now in calm consciousness. And at the moment you're laying down in bed and your eyes close, boom, you're, you're asleep, so-called. You're out of alpha, you're unconscious in that sense, but the brain is now at a lower vibration, theta. And then after a little bit, theta even slows down, then you're in delta, which is outright unconscious sleeping. I say, so what's the matter? What's the issue? I go, every night when you go to bed, the moment alpha consciousness goes to sleep, the brain is in theta again. I say, oh, if I put earphones on my head as I go to bed, the moment I fall asleep, whatever is playing on that program coming through the earphones, I'm not hearing it with my conscious mind. I'm sleeping. But guess what? The brain is now in theta. And I say, what's that? I say, that's hypnosis. So whatever is coming through the earphones in that program, the moment you fall asleep, is now going deep into the subconscious. It's not going into consciousness at all. Consciousness is disconnected. So it's called self-hypnosis. Every night when you go to bed, you put earphones on, you play a self-help program, which you can get from bookstores and things about wishing, uh, you know, what would you want? Program for health, a program for relationship, a program to get a better job. They're all different kinds of programs. Whichever one you're struggling with, you find a program that you want to be real. You put it in your player, put the earphones on when you go to bed. The moment the conscious mind goes to sleep, boom, you're in theta and whatever's coming across the earphones, downloaded mm -hmm. into subconscious. That's the first way we learn subconscious programs for seven years. Then I go, but you still learn new programs after age seven. I said, well, how'd you learn new programs? I said, well, for example, driving a car. I say, how'd you drive a car? And now you programmed it so you don't even have to think about it. You get in the car, put the key in. You don't have to think about the details you did the first time you got a car and put a key in. You had to look out the windows, the mirrors, listen to the engine, the pedals on the floor, pay attention to all this kind of stuff. Uh, and that was the beginning period. And I say, you practice, you practice, and you practice. Now you've been driving for a while. Guess what? Subconscious knows how to drive the car. You practice and you repeated it so many times. You can drive the car without thinking about it. Your conscious mind can drift off. You can have a conversation with a passenger and not even pay attention to the road because the moment you redirect your consciousness, the subconscious autopilot steps in and drives the car. Mm -hmm. And it's a better driver than you are because the, the, as a computer, the subconscious is a million times more powerful than the conscious mind. Mm -hmm. So I say, so what's the point? And I go, when you practice something and repeat it over and over again, whether it's an instrument, I learned how to play an instrument, whether it's a car, I learned how to drive a car, whether it's a job, I got on the job and I repeat this process every day, there's a point where you can do it without thinking about it because now it's called a habit. I go, cool, that's how you get a habit, repetition. So the first way of changing program is using uh, the uh, um, subconscious uh, mode of uh, uh, theta, uh, cell, you know, imagination, self-hypnosis. But mm -hmm. after age seven, you can add new programs by what? Repetition. 
Sure. Practicing something, just repeating it over and over and over and over again. Why? It's the repetition that creates a habit. You want a new behavior? Then create a new behavior and repeat it continuously. And as you do this, guess what? The subconscious mind learns from repetition. And if you have a new behavior and you keep repeating it, that will become the program. And so basically, uh, there's a new age phrase, which I think is kind of funny. It's called fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. And what that means is this. I'm not a happy person. I'm not happy. I've never been happy. I say, you want to be happy? Yeah. What do I do? I say all day long, say I'm happy. I don't care what's going on. Whatever is going on, you're not happy. I don't care what's going on. I just say to yourself, you continuously repeat, I am happy. I am happy. I am happy. Stay long whenever you can remember it. You're repeating. I say repetition, habituation is what will put that program in. And I guess one day you wake up, you don't even have to say I'm happy anymore because once the program is installed, it's automatic. 95% of your life. That's the fun part about it. You don't have to work on this your whole life. You just work on it long enough to put the program in because once the program is in, now it's automatic after that. It will do that the rest of your life. 95% of the day, you will be engaging in programs that support your happiness, your health, uh, whatever you're looking for without you even thinking about it because subconscious means it's just going to play it automatically 95% of the day. So, those are the two fundamental ways of changing a program. I say, which program you want to change? I go back and say, look at your life. Whatever you're struggling with, it's because the program's not supporting you. So that's where you want to change the program. Okay. And then lastly, I got to add this because there are new ways of putting in programs. The first two, as I said, uh, the hypnosis, the repetition takes a period of time repeating these things over and over again. But there's a, a new way of changing program. It's collectively called energy psychology. Hmm. It's a different form of psychology. It uses what is called super learning. You go, what the heck is super learning? I say, maybe you've seen somebody read a book by moving their finger down the page from top to bottom. They just move it down like zip, mm -hmm. zip. I go, why is this relevant? As fast as they move that finger down the page, they read every word. That's how fast the subconscious is when you engage it that way. You can read all the words on that page just as fast as I, one. That's it. I just read all the words on the page. Mm -hmm. So you can stand in a bookstore in 10 minutes, flip through a book, and read the entire book. I say, if you can engage the super learning process in a psychology, you can then download programs virtually instantaneously. You can change a belief you had your whole life. In about 15 or 20 minutes, once you have the belief you want to install, then the process of installing a belief is, is in minutes. This Wait, how, is uh, how, energy. How energy. exactly do we install yes. that? How exactly do we install that belief in 15 minutes, like using that that super learning methodology? I'm not sure if that was clear. Well, uh, basically, uh, part of it has to do with engaging right and left hemispheres. Uh, the, you know, the brain, ha the brain has a split down the middle. There's a right, uh, you can sure, see a line right down the middle. Right. Okay, uh, no, that's the connecting of the right and left. This ah. is just showing there's a right and left. On the top of your brain, there's two lobes, and they come together at the midline. Ah, okay. Uh, the, the, the left side is intellectual character. The right side is emotional character. Before age seven, right and left hemispheres are integrated. It's called hemi-sync, hemispherical mm -hmm. sync. Uh, that's when super learning occurs. That's how an infant, you know, a kid can download so much stuff because their brain is in hemi-sync. But after age seven, the function of the left and right hemispheres separate from each other. They're not integrated anymore. So sometime during the day, you're a little more intellectual. And a few hours later, 
you're more emotional. And a few hours later, you're more intellectual. Back in, It's a wave up and down, up and down. But the problem is, in this life period, the hemispheres don't work together. It's either the left hemisphere or the right hemisphere, but they're not working together. And I say, what's super learning? If you get both hemispheres to integrate and work at exactly the same time, the window of super learning opens up and you can download information in minutes. And this is what we need because as we started when we talked about the world is in a very grave situation. Human behavior is precipitating the mass extinction. I said, well, if you don't want a mass extinction, what do you have to change? I said, you don't change the planet. You change human behavior. I go, yeah, but human behavior is programmed. I go, yes, and this is why energy psychology uh, is here. It, it, there's an old saying, necessity is the mother of invention, meaning if you need to do something, we create something. I said, we need to change behavior quickly, and guess what? Energy psychology evolves. Yes, you can use these mechanisms to change your life in, in, in minutes, not days. And this is what we need to really jump into the future. On my website, very simple, brucelipton.com. Under resources, there's about 20 or more uh, energy psychology modalities, different ways of engaging the same mechanism. Uh, so I've listed them and their websites so people can look on there and say, how can I, you know, which one should I do? I say, look up the website, find the one that feels the, the nicest, best to you, try it out. Uh, the reason is this, because when you use these processes, you can cause rapid, rapid change and take your life on a whole new course very, very quickly. And the idea is, do you want a new course? I go, go back and look at your life. If there's any struggle in there, remember, it didn't come from the outside. It's because our unconscious or subconscious uh, driven behaviors are operating 95% of the day, but those behaviors primarily came from observing other people. So you're not living the life you want. You end up living the life of whoever was giving you the program. Mm -hmm. And that's why characters run in family. Everyone says, oh, uh, musicians have kids that are good musicians. They go, oh, it must be a gene for music. Oh, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the fact that when the kid was in the, uh, you know, the theta record mode before age seven, and they're observing their parents, and they observe uh, the musician in their family, and they watch them. It's a download of being a musician that is picked up by this child. So as it matures and grows up, subconscious is what? It's already programmed to be a musician. So that's how you know it runs in families. It's not genes. It's programs that run in family. Bruce, I, I'm loving this. You know, I, it, You're doing my job for me. I just have to sit here and hold space <laughs> for you. And you just cover everything that I wanted to ask you. It's not a problem. It's a total breeze. Um, I mean, there's there's so much to unpack there. You know, this this hyper super learning and you know connecting the hemispheres of the brain and repetition using mantras. I mean, there, there's there's so many different techniques I guess that we can use to facilitate creating these new programs so that we can live the lives that that we want to live i want to change gears just a little bit and, and this is this is stuff that you cover in your work uh regarding relationships there was a there's something that you wrote in your book honeymoon effect where you talked yes. about you talked about energy and vibration and how 
um, they form bonds when we connect with people. Like I see many people who will enter an environment and, you know, they talk about like the vibe of a space. They'll, they'll talk about how they were, they just weren't feeling it, you know, like oh, the vibe was off or, you know, something yeah. like that. And, and you mentioned well, this, you talk about this. There, Go there are good, good vibes and bad vibes. That's exactly what it comes down to. And basically, what a vibration is an energy. An energy is a uh, a wave in the field, sort of like ripples. Uh, when you drop a rock into a pond, you get ripples. Uh, the ripples are not accidents. It's the shape of the energy that is coming from the falling rock and transferred into the water. The energy is a force. It shapes the water into ripples because that is the shape of the energy. Waves. And I go, cool. I say, Sometimes when two waves come together, they enhance each other, and that's called a good vibe, because two lower waves can come together and create a bigger wave as their combination, more energy. The higher the wave, more energy. And you can say, well, that would be a good vibe. Two, two small waves come together, they add up and create a bigger wave. That's, that's called good vibes. But in contrast, when waves are not in harmony, meaning uh, the ripple of one is going up, but the ripple of the other wave is going down at the same time, and you add them up, they cancel each other out. So there's no wave at all. Hmm. If two waves come together and they're, and they're lined up so the, the peak of one is lined up with the peak of the other, you add up the peak value together and you get a high wave. But if you add up a wave where one is the high peak and the other wave is coming in is at the low part of the wave, you add those together, it's zero. I say, well, what happens? Well, I say, when two waves that are not in harmony come together, they cancel out the power, no wave at all. And that's called bad vibes. So we have good vibes, bad vibes. I go, life is energy. That's a given fact. More energy you have, the more life you have. When you're in an environment where the waves around you from everything, everything that's, that appears to be made out of matter is actually made out of waves. Uh, and I say, so what's the result? I say, well, if you're in a place where all the waves around you are in harmony with you, you feel good. And you have a lot of energy and you have more life. But if you're in an environment where the waves around you created by whether it's people or physical things or whatever's going on, those waves cancel your energy. You lose energy. Well, energy is life. So if you lose energy, you lose life. That's the bad vibes. So the vibes are a, a physical sensation that are telling you, are you in the right place or the wrong place? Because when you're in the wrong place, you could feel the energy drain out of your body and now you're vulnerable. No energy, you lose your life. And that's like, so if you're, you know, scared or afraid or something in your world or you're in a place you're not familiar with and all of a sudden you feel weak, that means that the energy around you is canceling your energy, bad mm. vibes. Mm -hmm. In contrast, if you're in a place where all of a sudden you feel so much more energy than you had just a little while ago and you're on your toes because everything is so exciting, well, then you're in a place where the energy is supporting you. More support, more life, good vibes. It's also called constructive interference in a technical term, uh, as opposed to being in the wrong place right. where the energy cancels your vibration. You feel flat, you're vulnerable, bad vibes, but also called technically destructive interference. Yes. Uh, and, and the idea is this is the greatest compass that a human can have because it says, should I be here or should I go there? And I say, measure the energy. This is make you feel better to be over there than go over there. If you feel bad over here, then get out of here and go over somewhere else. And, and we rarely use that because part of the programming for seven years 
many of us learn not to use those feelings as a compass. Oh, don't go by your feelings. Listen to what the person has to say. And I go, that's your first big mistake. Why? Energy precedes the words. Johnny says, you want to navigate your life, you need a compass. And I say, well, what is the compass? And you say, well, I could think my way through here from what I learned and my programs and all that. And I go, that's one way. But a more accurate compass is to read your energy because energy is physically, uh, you know, a direct consequence of your life. No energy, no life. Lots of energy, lots of life. So if you read energy, you get a much more accurate understanding of where you're going than if you use your mind to, you know, analytically think about it. Yes, I give $10 to this person. I get 1000 That sounds good math to me. I like it. And I say, yeah, that's thinking. But if you were feeling, you would say, boy, I don't get a good vibe from this person. I go, oh, that was the, the, the compass point you should have listened to. Mm-hmm. And yet most of us don't don't go by our feelings, and yet our feelings are indeed the best way. Uh, think about it this way. A snail is born out of an egg. There's no parents around. I say the snail's on its own. They've got no teacher. How the heck does a snail know where to go and what to do? There's no teacher. I go, it doesn't need a teacher. There's only one gauge on the snail's dashboard, an energy gauge. If it moves in this direction and the energy drops, then the snail will turn around and move in the other direction until it moves in a direction where the energy goes higher. Mm -hmm. Because if it drops, it just says, this is taking away life. I have to find where I can go where the energy is higher, more life. Uh, It reads the energy of the plant. If the plant's energy and the snail's energy in harmony, then the vibes go up, and the snail said, this is a good plant to eat. In contrast, it comes across another plant And that energy from that plant cancels the vibration of the other plant, uh, you know, uh, cancels the vibration of the snail. Then the snail will say, why would I eat this plant? I'm going to lose energy. (laughs) It won't eat it. I say, you mean the whole programming of the snail was done by one gauge? Hmm. Read the energy. Mm -hmm. Is the energy good or the energy bad? Why? The heart isn't thinking. It just reads energy. So there's a brain part. Yeah, my mind could do all the analytical tricks it wants. But my heart just reads energy. It just says, am I getting involved with something that gives me more energy or less energy? Point is simple. It gives you more energy, go in that direction. If it gives you less energy, back away. It's the wrong thing. So there's guidance in life. And, and, and we rarely use it because it's really based on your heart. So my conclusion here, because I am running out of time, but I must mm-hmm. give a conclusion that I think is important. And that is basically this. You have to make a decision about something in your life, about X. I say, so what you can do is, A, you can start looking at X and saying, what are the benefits? What are the negatives? You're doing an analysis, analytical analysis. And then you come to a conclusion and say, well, I think I should do this or I think I shouldn't do it. And I go, that's from thinking. I say, do that. That's a good exercise. But then here's what I suggest for the final decision making. And that is this. Don't use your analytical thinking Ask your heart. You're saying, do I want to do this? Yes or no? Because your heart's just going to read the energy and give you what's the conclusion. Did it get more energy? Did it get less energy? It's all it's going to tell you. And the simple point is this. If you feel good, that means the heart is saying that this energy is where you should go. But if you feel a little apprehensive, you're not sure, and you're feeling, ah, then the heart is telling you, don't go there. And that is really the most important understanding is we seek life 
we seek energy. Our behavior is manifesting what's happening in front of us. If we have negative programming, then we will bring negative people into our lives because they'll fit with the program, but that program takes away your life. Uh, and when we start to see where the programs are and we find where we're struggling, there's the opportunities we talked about, change the programming. And when it comes to, to making decisions in your life, it's much more uh, accurate to, okay, do the analysis, the thinking, all the details, great. But before you make that final last decision, before you make that decision, the last thing you do is you go to your heart. You ask yourself, how do I feel about this? Mm. The heart does feelings, energy. The brain does analysis of details. And the bottom line is this. The most accurate gauge on your dashboard, just like the snail, one gauge, the energy gauge. And when you got that, that'll be your best compass to move successfully into the future. Yeah, yeah, wow, Bruce. I mean, this this has been amazing, it, and it flew by. I mean, there's so much information that you gave us to really absorb and learn from. And I know, you know, just watching sort of the chat room, it's, it's you know, everyone's talking about it and they're, they're loving this. And I think more than ever, you know, as we started the beginning of this conversation, it's so crucial that we start to ha- ha- affect our behavior in a positive way for the larger consciousness, for you know the planet, not just for us, but the collective evolution of all of us. And I think that's, that's exactly, that's exactly it, Xavier. You got the point. It's a collective evolution. Are we going to move into the future? Well, then it depends on how many of us are going to wake up. And this is why I so appreciate the opportunity to being on your program and to have this audience. Because as every one of us start to recognize, if we just wake up, I can get my power back. And I go, yeah, but collectively, if we wake up, then we collectively control what's happening on this planet. And we've been programmed by others, lost our power, and now there's 1% of the population, uh, you know, receiving all uh, of the the money and, and rewards, and the 99% are struggling and it's, what if we turn that around? What if the 99% woke up and said, I'm not doing those programs. I'm going to only do programs that help me and the collective com- community. That is the evolutionary step we're looking at right now. Absolutely. Um, you know, Bruce, we've, we've got about seven minutes here left. And, you know, I, I'd love for you to wrap this up, tie it in a, in a bow and, you know, give us, <laughs> you know, I mean, if, I mean, we, we've covered so much, but you know, yeah. if, if, if maybe there are people out there that, you know, they're really struggling with the direction and larger picture of their lives, you know, what do you say to those people that have maybe lost all of the hope, you know, that, that, that they can muster? How do you, how do you reach those people? Well, uh, basically, you know, we just go back to what we started with and recognize this. If I am the creator, then how come my creation doesn't match my wishes and desires? That's basically what it comes down to. Fact, you are a creator. That's from the biology. We got that pretty clear. The question is, as a creator, are you happy with your creation? That's a very simple point. Are you happy with the way it is? If you're not happy with it, the point is, up until now, we would say it's the environment, it's the other people, it's whatever the institution is, whatever, they're the problem. Because that's the way we look at it, because 
if our behavior is invisible, then how do we know we're even participants? And I go, that's where the problem is. It's subconscious. It's below conscious. Your behavior is creating a life that has nothing to do with your wishes and desires. It's just coming from a program. You don't like the life because you can see the program isn't working. Hmm. Then stop being a victim and start recognizing, if I am a creator, then what the hell is going on here? Yes. And then all of a sudden we get into the analytics and say, What's going on here is that you're not creating from your desires, you're creating from the program. And that becomes a scientific reality. And as a scientific reality, it says, then what can you do about it? And the answer is easy. Change the program. So you're, the, as an individual, is the one that says, is my life going the way I want it or am I struggling? And I go, if you're struggling, we've been led to believe that we are victims, but then if we're struggling now, we recognize this. Unconsciously, we're sabotaging ourselves with programs that we got from others that do not support our wishes and desires. If you know this and you become aware of it, then you are empowered to make a change. But if mm. you don't know this, you'll go through your whole life going, geez, I'm a victim, geez, I'm a victim. Every day I'm a victim, and then you die a victim. And I'm going, that is not necessary in this world. If you are feeling you are a victim, it's not because you're a victim of outside forces. You are indeed a victim, but a victim of programming. And I go, so what's the relevance? I say, I can't change outside forces, but I can change my program. And that says, all of a sudden it says, stop trying to direct the world <laughs> to make it yes. conform to your wishes and desires. Start changing your program and the world will express your wishes and desires. Is that real? I go, have you ever fallen in love? And if you did, that first one for me is, if you did, even if it was only a few days of a honeymoon, you touched it, that something was different. I go, that's all you need to start with, that something can change when you change. Because that is the, the key step that says, let's do more change. Let's take this and do it. Because if you just sit back and don't do anything, your program is going to play the same damn problem over and over for as long as you live until you change that program. It's sort of like I mentioned, walking is a program. You got it when you were two. How long is it going to last for? Well, hopefully for the longest rest of your life, because that way you don't have to relearn again. But if you got a negative programming, how long does that have to go for? And I go, until the day you decide to change the program. And then you can make a new program, one that really supports your intentions and your desires. And you've done it for a short period of time, but that was only because there was a moment where you stopped playing the program because you stayed mindful. But if you change the program to match your wishes and desires, just a simple point. If I put wishes and desires as programs in my subconscious, I will manifest these wishes and desires because 95% of the day, my behavior will be absolutely supporting every wish and desire without my even being conscious of it. I could, I could daydream the whole thing all, all day long and end up being totally successful without any more effort because it's happening automatically from subconscious. So instead of, you know, there's an old hippie saying that you might not know, but I know because I'm old enough. And that hippie saying was simply this. Before you go out and change the world, take care of your own backyard. This applies mm -hmm. specifically to what we're talking about right here. If the world isn't working for you, you don't go out and change the world. First, stay home and change yourself. Because when you change yourself, the world will change automatically. Yes. And that is basically the call for freedom. Free yourself. 
you have been enslaved by invisible programs. But once they be, once you become aware that there's a program, then for the first time in your life, you can exercise power by changing that program and putting in programs that, that completely support your wishes and your desires. Bruce, I love it. I mean, there's so much gold in this episode. I, I think it's a home run. And <laughs> I mean, there's there's so much information here for people to really dig in. And and I mean, I'm sure they'll go back and, and listen to it you know, a couple times. I, to, I think they, they should, because the first time it's like, ooh, but the second time it goes, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, each time you hear it, it's like, okay, I'm getting it. Because the first time is like such a shock. It's completely different than everything you thought. And But when you start to listen to it again, you start to say, yeah, I get it. And once you get it, you are free. And yeah. that's the nature of the game. We must free ourselves from the programs of disempowerment. Yes, sir. Um, Bruce, so I know that Biology of Belief is on its 10th anniversary edition right now. Um, where can people go and pick up a copy of that and your your the website address, if you would, yeah. please? You can go to almost any bookstore, thankfully, <laughs> and, and find Biology of Belief. Um, Amazon, of course, is the easiest thing to do, and it's also a very good price compared to regular bookstores. Uh, it's available everywhere, even on my own website. So um, the, the, that, that book, Biology of Belief, especially is the one that's been out for over 12 years now, uh, 13 years or so. Hmm. Uh, it's still the best-selling book. It's, it's um, staying the same sales for 13 years, uh, which to me is a very important uh, statistic because it reveals every day more and more people are waking up. And yes. as they wake up, they're buying the book. And so what the book sales to me represent – uh, an emerging population of people who want to take their power back. So I'm very excited by the fact that it's called an evergreen book because it's it keeps selling every year, year after year, because it's access to empowerment, and that's what we all need right now. It's it's timeless, you know. And guys, that's gonna do it for us here. My guest, Dr. Bruce Lipton. I mean, what an amazing episode, right? You can go and pick up this book, The Biology of Belief. And again, Dr. Bruce Lipton. Wow, there's so much information here. We are going to be on the community server and doing a post show. Just me will be there. You can find that link. It's allmylinks.com slash thehumanxp. If you're listening to this on the podcast version, please get over to iTunes Leave us a review. Tell your friends and family about what we do here. I find that most of the time, people have no idea. We've interviewed so many great authors, scientists, researchers. People have no idea that, that we exist yet. So get out there. Help us reach more people. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great holiday. See you next week. <laughs>